We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Daveed Diggs is one of those actors you never forget. He shined in the original cast of Hamilton as both Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette then moved on to Blackish and the movie Wonder. But through it all, long before Hamilton, he was working on a passion project. A little movie he was writing with his friend, the actor Raphael Cazal. It was called Blind Spotting. It was about a pair of friends, one black, one white, one of whom just got out of prison. And they're trying to deal with dirty cops and staying out of prison and the rapid gentrification of their beloved Oakland. David and Rafa wrote and star in Blind Spotting, which is one of the best movies of the year. It's smart and funny, and the guys seamlessly work in moments where they start rapping, and it's not at all cheesy. It's great. So we started by talking about Blind Spotting, but we'll get into what it's like to be an artist who doesn't have to worry about money and his thoughts on Donald Glover. It's David Diggs on Toure Show. So you spent 10 years writing this? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. 2009 we started. It was like sort of the first time we like put anything down for it. Yeah. I mean, wh- what did you want to do? What were you going for? What the were you prompt trying to- was literally um, a, a film that had uh, verse work in it that was about Oakland. That was, <laughs> that was what we were trying to do. And right around the time that we started thinking about this, Oscar Grant was murdered at Fruitvale Bar Station. I was living two blocks away. And um, the discussion of Oakland was that at the moment. And that's kind of was the sort of interesting... Um, that's what we always talk about was the biggest shift between then and now. It's like when we started writing, so much of it was about, there were big protests in the film. There were like, it was this person's face was everywhere. The dialogue was about the specificity of this person, person and the, the dialogue around these things has changed to us to the point now where it's like, you don't, the, the specificity of the person is gone. Mm. It's just like this sort of vague outrage but like the the only way we could have colin justifiably sort of uh 
have, you know, go, undergoing PTSD was to have him actually be there to witness it because nobody else has a strong enough reaction to it. To this moment of police brutality yeah. and police murder. Exactly. Um, I mean, did you, when you started, did you know the end of the film? We, so the, the two oldest things that are still in the film are the, the confrontation at the end and uh, Miles and Collins' discussion in the, in the like, parking lot after, the, after he shoots the, the gun. They're the big. Like, they're big, yeah. They're big, bigger them. discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so those were, those were both... Well, that, their big argument was, like, sort of... Rafa called me in the, like, in the middle of the night. He was teaching at UW-Madison, and, and I was in New York or something, and he, like hit me up in the middle of the night. He was like, I have this idea. I don't know how we're going to pull it off. And he sort of described it to me and we started spitballing on it for a bunch of hours and came out with like a really rough version of what that scene was. Um, and that's been there. And then the end thing, all of those bars, he wrote 90% of that as like a placeholder. Like, I don't even know if I was, we were, I was like there working on another scene or something. He was like, we know we're going to get to this scene. We knew Colin had to confront the cop at the end and we knew that if we're making a film with verse, like that had to be, that scene had to be in verse. So he was like, I brought all these placeholder bars, blah, blah, blah. We'll get, when, when we finally finish the rest of the movie, we'll change it. And uh, like two weeks before we shot, I went, <laughs> we like finally read it over again with the eyes to change it. And I was like, bro, this is exactly right. Probably because we were writing backwards from there anyway. So it ended up tying everything up. But I was See, like. See, this, this is why, I want to start with this. Because. Yeah. This is a new idea to me, personally, of working on a creative project and knowing the end and building up toward it. Yeah. Right? And I would do it backwards, and I read about, you know, Rakim talks about this, and Coppola talks about this, and Sid Field talks about this, and I'm like, oh. And, <laughs> and it, it talk about the sense of, well, what it gives you as a writer to start knowing where the end is going to be. Yeah, well, I don't know if we knew that we knew that, but okay. like since since it existed and we knew that it did have to get there, whatever box we were creating needed to justify that. Um, and for a film, not that either of us had written a screenplay before, so we didn't really know what we were talking about. There's something about that that felt like it was pushing a lot of things in for a film. So it was like, all right, well, what do we have to do in order to justify these moments? You know. Um, because we knew, you know, we knew who Colin and Miles were. We understood that, and we, uh, <laughs> New York, um, we understood that. So we we knew these guys really well. And we know Oakland really well. So it was really about like, what are the, <clears throat> in order for, <laughs> in order for Colin to get to a point where he is waving a gun at a police officer rapping to him and that that is and that people will buy that like what does he have to go through over the course of however long this movie was going to be and then for also for their discussion moment it was like for two friends who understand the nuance of race they've grown up in it this isn't like they're not having a conversation about whether or not Miles should be allowed to use the N-word. Like, that's not, that's not the conversation they're having. You know? right, right, <laughs> they're having right. a conversation about theirs is like 20 steps beyond that, and it's the first time they've ever had it before. Um, and so what do two male friends have to go through in order to have a conversation that doesn't have any jokes in it, 
and that is is deathly serious and is about race for two people who have been friends their whole life that they've never had before. Like what what so is you know knowing we had those two things sort of allowed us to in other scenes sort of plant plant things. Yeah. Right? As we as we would finish up another scene idea, we could say, Well you know, um that make it sound pretty line that comes back at the end, you know, when we when we were working on the um that scene after after the exchange, the sailboat exchange. Um and Miles is sort of back sort of talking about how well the sail went. We and we knew we had this sort of idea of needing to make it sound pretty at the end. So putting that in that scene was like, oh, great. That sets us up for the end. It allows us to drop Easter eggs. But before you even, if I read you right, before you even, before you even really start on the journey, you figure out who the characters are. Yeah. That's definitely. the first thing. Yeah. I mean, at least for us, because we knew we wanted to star in it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But you're not playing yourself. No, no. But it was about... so. We knew we wanted to star in it, so we were characters that we could play, and then also we knew they had to be able to sort of tell, we needed to be able to understand the changing demographics of Oakland through their lens. Yeah. So that sort of informed everything and allowed us to sort of cherry pick from our friends. These are both like compilations of people we grew up with. Okay. And so it allowed us to sort of cherry pick things like, oh, remember when such and such went through this, that's like a really interesting character trait for Miles. Oh, remember when this happened, you know, remember this like sort of toxic relationship that that our friends were in. We could use that as part of part of Colin's situation. I mean, Oakland is a big part of this whole conversation. Yeah. And and, and living in Brooklyn, which is also gentrifying rapidly. Yeah. Um and in a lot of ways feels like a brother or sister yeah. to uh Oakland. And, yeah, yeah. Um I definitely re- related that a lot. How do you, how do you add that in without it becoming ever? It's never preachy, right? But yeah. it, but it's definitely this big part of the film. Yeah, I mean, I think what we just tried to make sure that ev- everything felt real to that place. Oakland, you get a lot of leeway with a place like Oakland. Maybe with Brooklyn too. If I was, you know, more connected to it, but like. The Bay Area is is weird. It's weird, and and it and it is it exists in extremes. So, um, and and um, there's this kind of there's there's like an academia is the wrong word, but there's like something sort of readerly about the place mm-hmm. in casual conversation. Um, and, and folks they, are intellectual. Folks are intellectual um, everywhere, right? On the corner, folks are intellectual. You, you do great at finding, you know, active ways of expressing what you're trying to express, right? Instead of them saying, you know, oh, gentrification is whack. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You open on him spitting out the new burger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's, like, literally spitting out the new taste of Oakland. Right. Well, true story. We went to the Quickway Rio. That really happened. Like, a place called Quickway shut down. It was my favorite burger spot. Super greasy. It was, like, you know, going get... As a kid, as a kid, me and my dad used to go, I would get a triple cheeseburger. He would sit me up on top of the little shelf, and I would be like, I want three meats and three cheeses. <laughs> uh, and... And, uh, and they they shut down, 
And then a few years later, they reopened. Everyone was juiced, and we're like lined up outside. We get the burger, and it was so nasty. <laughs> it was on this like whole wheat bun, and it was like, what is, what is, and how dare you not change the name? At least have the courtesy to right. fucking change the name, right? Because <laughs> it's not the same shit. I mean, that opening scene just goes so left because it starts <laughs> quietly, like literally right. quietly. And and then it explodes into the discussion of this burger, and then suddenly, before you know it, there's six there's guns, six in, the guns in the car. It is like just so much. Which is that's also you know that's a real story from Rafa's life, where Raphael would have been Colin in that situation. Um, but like, it, you know, again, like we drew so much from things that actually happened. But what I love about that that's one of my favorite scenes still in the thing, because I'm in addition to sort of the work it's doing to set things up, like, it also just works how comedy works, right? I, I grew up, like, in love with Abbott and Costello movies and yes. things like that, so shit that is just funny that's not intellectual at all, you know? And, like, that's too, too many guns. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit is just funny. Every time I watch it, I laugh at it. <laughs> it, it I mean, especially because... Somebody is like, whoa, I don't want to be part of this. Right, yeah. Like, if they were all down, then it's, you know, then, then it's men to society and we're all, but one person, like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm out. And has, like, truly good reasons to, to not be, but, like, we just heard that he's not supposed to be involved with this anymore. And he's, like, just days away from getting out. But I think that's, you know, and again, that's, yeah, I'm. Every time I watch it, I am asking myself the same questions about how this happened. Because when you're working on something for this long, you don't, I don't think you have a sense, like, really of the... It doesn't feel nearly as intentional mm. as some of the things probably were at one time. But, like, my sense of finishing it was just this, like, holy shit, you made this thing. And then you go out and you go back and look at these moments. It's like, damn, that was smart, what we did there. But I don't really... I can't remember when we made that decision. So like I don't but there's lots of times in this where you create these great moments, these great collisions, and then we can sort of live in that moment for a while. And, you know, your character witnesses a moment of police brutality, and then he's just eye to eye. You know, or there's a moment when, you know, uh, uh, you know Raphael's son picks up a gun. Yeah. And then, like, everybody else is just, everybody on screen, everybody in the theater is like, yeah. <gasps> yeah, yeah, so tense. <laughs> you know, and, and you create these moments of great tension, you know, are you trying to create these moments where, you know, you get, you know, the two bulls about to hit each other and we have to luxuriate in the tension for a minute? I think so, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I think that was certainly baked into the script we made. It's what we were trying to do, um, because the the whole situation is tense, and I think yep. life for black people is tense. Yep. Life for poor people is tense, right? Life in Oakland is really tense. It is. Um, living in the wake of police brutality, like, this is a very tense thing, you know? Seeing a cop drive by you is a very tense thing. Yeah. Um, it's a really gratifying moment in the theater when you when everybody feels that with Colin. Like, whatever they're ethnicity is or wherever their background is like every you know they they watch this cop drive by Colin and see him tense up and everybody in the theater gets tense and that's super gratifying because that is how you should you know then you understand a little bit a little bit of of what it's like and um and so we did we were intentionally having these moments of tension but again like you're also just watching people live and it's not always sad it, you know, it's, it's not tragic. So they joke all the time. There's also so much laughter um, 
and so much humor in it. And we always we've been describing the film as as a a buddy comedy in a world that won't let it be one, right? Which yeah. is just you know these two guys are really trying to just be in they're just trying to be guy they're just trying to like be in a buddy comedy and like but if you if you don't ignore um what's if you don't ignore the world around you all of a sudden that becomes impossible eventually that becomes impossible for a moment you have to actually deal with something i mean you guys do a really good job of splicing in music right without it becoming like now we're going to a musical moment mm. and partly you earn it in the first time we see music, you're like trying out rhymes on your friend. So it's not like this prepared, clear, crisp music moment comes out, but like, I just thought of a rhyme. Yeah. And then another one. Oh, and he comes up with one. And yeah. now we're doing it together. So it feels really earned. But how do you get like music moments in the piece without it being like, it's a fucking musical. I told you it was a fucking musical. That was, that, I know. That was the prompt. Like, that's what we were trying to do. So we're sort of shocked that it happened too. But like that, we definitely thought about it a lot, you know, and we really wanted it to be two guys who don't have aspirations of being rappers or poets or anything like that. Like, that's not what they do. Because this is a real thing in the Bay. People will just rhyme sometimes. We, sure. we literally, you know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Raphael on his phone gets a voicemail from one of the dudes who, Miles, who his character is based on. And it's just, who's not a rapper, doesn't like do that, but he just called up and left like a voice memo that was like, hey, I just want to spit you these bars right quick. We're for sure putting it on the soundtrack. Like, I mean, it's, it, it was so perfect. Um, so again, like it, it was, it was, we were able to do all of these things, I think, because the, the frame of Oakland is, is capable of holding them all. Um, and so as long, and that was the, every time we were questioning something, it was like, well, does this happen in the town? It does. Great. It can be in the movie. And let's not, and you know, and Carlos, our director, leaned into it too. And it was like, if we're going to switch back and forth in styles like this, is that, okay, you don't often see that in a movie, but like, that's what it feels like to be in Oakland. Is you know, it, it, it feels off kilter like that. It feels like there's no, um, there's no preparation. There's no setup, Right. The shit's just going to happen when it happens. And so we, we just tried to lean into that in every aspect of the film. I mean, like, in this final moment, I assume most people who are listening to this have seen the film by I now. I mean, like, you're confronting this cop in his home, <laughs> right? It is super tense, and you're rapping. And it works. <laughs> I know, I know. We didn't know. When we shot it, we were like, we'll see. And the edit, you know, it comes out right. And the first time we fucking watched it, it was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> You know, it fucking worked. We'd been, like, sitting with it for 10 years, like, really don't know if this is okay. Um, but then seeing it, it was okay. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, you know, the moment in the, um, in the house, in the house that they're clearing out where they have that sort of freestyle moment, um, and Carlos insisted on doing, like, one long shot and then allowing us to really freestyle after the text was done at the end, forcing us to and tell us, but he'd never called cut. So we were just, you know, doing that. There was all sorts of other shit that was part of that scene, and we were able to cut it all out because that did everything, you know? And also, having that moment again was able to set this thing up where we see them processing things that are important, but it's in a, it's in a way that... Um, feels casual to them right mm. um and so because by the time we get to the end you have to be rooting for colin in that situation which is crazy 
you have to be rooting for a convicted felon waving a gun in a police officer's face. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and you have to be buying the fact that he's rapping at him. <laughs> and, uh, but what, you know, we, we came up through Youth Speaks, through like the sort of youth poetry movement. And I've taught a lot in those spaces. And the reason you work on poetry with kids, I did a lot of work with middle schoolers too, but middle schoolers and still. high schoolers, I still do, yeah. But um, the reason to have kids write poems is because nobody cares what they have to say unless they frame it in a way that's virtuosic, mm. right? An adult has the luxury of walking into a space and being like, this is what I think. And a young person doesn't have that opportunity. So you give them tools to go into spaces and frame things in this incredibly virtuosic way so that it forces people to listen. And that's what Colin's doing. He, you know, for me, I don't think, I, I think he doesn't survive if, he, if that, hap, that chance moment doesn't happen. He's not allowed to actually be heard right. by this person. And the only way he can figure out to actually be heard is to make it sound pretty, which is a thing that, you know, Miles dropped in his head before. <laughs> Where did this... This journey of actor, singer, rapper, writer, did I miss anything? Uh, <laughs> where, where does this journey begin? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I was always, I, I, uh, I started doing school plays and stuff because I, uh, I was really shy. And I, but I, I want to be an extrovert. Like, I like being around people. So being on stage gave me a reason to be around people that wasn't about me. You know, okay. it was always in service of the performance. So that uh, that's kind of why I became a performer, I think. Um, and that was, you know, fifth grade. That was really young. I, I figured that out. I was like, I don't, this gives me a reason to be in the room. So I'm going to keep doing it. I really like being in the room, but I really can't deal with it unless I have a thing to do. You know? um, and then sometime early in high school, I, I started writing rap songs, um, mostly because a friend of mine, wanted was making beats and didn't really know any other rappers and I was doing sort of terrible poems at the time and uh who were the hot rappers who were influencing you when you were starting oh man well E40 always and forever is, is my favorite rapper and, and will always be yes but uh yeah but at the time other than than him and sort of some of the like real bay legends keep the sneak and and that whole sort of class of folks i i was like into real backpackery stuff so i was okay. uh far side far side for sure souls of mischief also out of the bay um freestyle fellowship yep hearing that stuff really changed my life um in a lot of ways uh and then out on the east coast cats like feral Monch, um really like wordy stuff that still slept like that was the that was the thing that i want i i my mom was a dj in the 70s what yeah, yeah and, and early 80s and so like i grew up what kind of dj like a like a funk disco dj like was one of the first djs on the west coast to play rapper's delight actually when it what? came out but she's yeah so the club dj or yeah yeah like before i came along really um and so by the time i came along like my mom and, and my dad and the, the records ended up living with my pops mostly um they split when i was very young but uh anyway i had this record collection around me. so i grew up on p-funk and and um stuff like that sort of the like more popular or the, like the more danceable side of of like funk music the sort of glossier side of it right i mean a lot of funkadelic too but like 
George Duke, more George Duke than Fatback, you know, okay. kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Um, or than James Brown, even like the Barkays, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so I've always had this kind of. I like pop music. Like I, I, I like things that are like that. But I also am really into words and language. So I like things that were able to walk those lines or able to feel heady, um, but also could make me dance or get me excited or like get me like real turned up when I'm driving in my car, things like that. So yeah, I mean, you name take a lot of heady, thoughtful hip hop. Yeah, but and it was you know at the time I didn't understand. Like I remember uh, everyone I, I was running for. I was I was running track uh, in summer for the Oakland Police Athletic League actually, uh, and all the kids there were really into like Cash Money records and all that stuff. And and I didn't have I didn't I didn't get it at the time, and I I sort of railed against it okay. for a bunch of until really like midway through high school maybe or even a little bit after that. Um, when I really went back and listened to it, and was all of a sudden like, oh, you j- I just didn't understand, actually, this shit is brilliant. You know, Manny Fresh might be the best producer of all time. Like, I just fucking... Uh. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance. 
who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So you went to Brown. I went to Brown. And studied theater there. I did. So what did that take you to the next level, or were you already on that train? Brown was like, the great thing about Brown, the reason I went there is that there are no core requirements, so it allowed me to just do whatever I wanted. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so... And I, no grades, if I remember? You don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> you could take everything pass-fail, and I did. Because uh, <laughs> so, um, I was for sure not trying to go to grad school. But... Uh, yeah, so you I, already had it in mind to become an, an actor. No, I don't know what I don't had a. I didn't have a plan. Um, I think I just I was interested in things, and I I wanted to keep doing them. You know, I wanted to keep exploring them, and so the you mean things? You mean the singing, the rapping? Uh, yeah, rapping and acting, acting basically. And, it was like yeah, that was all. I mean, for a long time, really until. Three years ago, when people asked me what I do, I would say, oh, I write rap songs and I act in plays. That's, those are the things that I do. You know? <laughs> um, so I did a lot of that there. Um, and it was a, a mixed bag in a lot of ways, but it was, it, it was interesting to be in a place where like, you're learning a ton of theory about thing, acting theory, which I found so useless. <laughs> In a lot of ways, but was but was fascinating. But then also learning a ton of other things, you know, taking education classes or taking, taking you know, philosophy classes or theoretical, like, you know, psychology classes and English classes. I took a ton of, like, creative writing classes and a ton of um, sort of, like, grad student taught, like, English classes, you know, things about, like, comedy, you know, <laughs> or um, just whatever seemed sort of interesting. And, and so... If I look back at my writing at that time, it was like so impenetrable. It's so <laughs> like <laughs> it's like from such a, a specific perspective, having to do with whatever book I just finished reading, you know. Uh, and it's trash, but <laughs> um, but it it allowed me to sort of continue on this theme that that has been recurring in my life about trying to figure out how to make things that are like feel for some reason more personal or more heady than the box they're contained in. Okay. Um, and so that, yeah, so I, I did a lot of that there. And then when I went back home to the Bay after that, I sort of, I just kept doing the same thing. I went and auditioned for plays and like I started getting in some and I was also trying to record albums. And that's when me and Raphael really started working together because he was running a studio. And um, so we started making music together and um, and I was acting in plays, and then I was teaching a bunch. To I was substitute teaching at first, which is a nightmare, and and then also ended up through a connection at a place called the Marsh Youth Theater. Getting they started writing grants for me to develop sort of hip hop based curriculum for like San Francisco middle schools. So I did a bunch of that um, too, and was getting to go in and do like workshop based teaching in schools with kids like that. But you weren't really. 
planning? You weren't really, you, you, was it just the wind was just sort of taking you when I got in this play and I got in that thing and? Kind of, yeah, I didn't, ha I didn't have a plan. I didn't know how to do it, right? I didn't know anybody who was doing the thing that I was doing. So, um, and you know, coming from the Bay Area, it's not like there's, an, the industry isn't there, right? So I didn't right. know the appropriate steps to becoming an actor. There's a bunch of theater there. It's you know pretty small, and so I didn't know. People were like, "Oh, you should get an agent." So I like you know started trying to get an agent in the Bay, which was fine, but they didn't. I don't think I even ever signed with one, or <laughs> maybe I did, but they didn't get me any plays. They were like pushing me for commercials occasionally, and those never happened either. <laughs> so, uh, but I I was just sort of trying to figure it out and and not making very much money. <laughs> um, but developing really good sort of like artistic relationships with folks like Raphael um, and Chinaka Hodge and like other, a ton of other great artists who were sort of doing the same thing out there because we didn't know any better. Um, and then eventually Rafa convinced me to move to LA, <laughs> which I had been resisting for a long time. I had done it once before that and slept on, so I'm in this band clipping, um, but my, my friend Bill, who's also in that band, we've been friends since, he was my best friend in third grade. Right, so clipping been, continues to this day? Clipping is still. How yeah. old is this band? The band was formed in like, when I'm, right before I moved to LA, so 2011, I guess. And the, I mean, the rhyming is very complex, right, and dense. Sometimes. Clipping is is a is sort of a hive mind of rap music, right? The the big um, the like big thing about the big experiment of clipping is that there's really no fir first person at all. Okay, why? It was just what we wanted to try and do. It was um, yeah. I mean, it, it started out as a question. It was like, what is it? If we remove the personal experience, if we remove the the fake or imagined, the, like imagined or real personal experience, right? We are, Rick Ross is a, is a character and we don't know if that lines up with who Rick Ross is, but it doesn't matter. The performance of that character is, is a person that you're interacting with. Um, if we remove that entirely and just have things be visual cue, either storytelling or like just a bunch of sort of cliches stuck together or whatever, is it still a rap song? Um, and so that's kind of, that was just kind of the idea behind the project. There is so much I in hip hop. Yeah. Like, and, and it's supposed to be a real I as opposed to in rock and roll. We need to assume that it's real. Yeah. That's yeah, part yeah. of the... And, and, and it is an interesting challenge to say I'm not, like, no, we're not going to talk about yourself. You're not going to say I. Or, yeah. Or anybody consistently either. And so we got... We'd try to get more, and more, you know, for a while I would just sort of haphazardly change pronouns, mm. like to sort of blur the, the gender specificity of mm. it, or, you know, um, just to see, just to see what would happen, because that was another project we were doing for ourselves. We didn't know anybody would ever like, when we played it for our friends, they were like, this is not good. <laughs> so it ended up being actually musically probably the most popular thing I've ever done. But um, So yeah, it was, you know. It was me and two of my my longtime friends trying a thing that we knew we really liked, and that was something we that we could keep doing. Yeah, we weren't gonna get bored of it. You know, we're still making these songs. Um, so, so that was the hype.
and then eventually it just sort of came out, got out there. But yeah, I guess back to the the idea of having a plan. Like I didn't, I didn't really have one. I just uh, slowly over time sort of lost the appropriate skill sets to do something else with my life. So <laughs> I was kind of pot committed to being whatever kind of weirdo artist I was going to be. <laughs> um. I mean, like, with this project, I really like that you have created your own lane, right? You, you're not waiting for someone to hire you for something that's already established. You're like, we're going to create our own thing, you know. And this is not, you know, I got this uh, power because of Hamilton. You've been working on this. Yeah. Well, and with these producers, you know, also, like, shout out to Jess and Keith Cowder, who were with us from Jump. They asked Raphael to write a movie. Like, that's, you know, <laughs> that's how this started. They were like, would you like to write a movie? Because they found his poems on YouTube. He was like, yeah. And we met and sort of, they were like, you guys should write this together. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, it's just a thing we've been grinding on. But also, you know, for me, Hamilton was making a play with my friends. I, like, I've, I had known Lynn for 10 years before that. And he asked me, would I come hang out and do a reading of his, play, of his new play? And I said, yeah. So like, and then like three years of my life were gone all of a sudden. You know, like we were about to make blind spotting then too, and like Hamilton really stopped us. <laughs> it was like, well, you kind of got to go to this Broadway thing, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I, it was, and I tried. You know, I've tried to do it in a more traditional way before. I moved to New York once and lasted about nine months, and I was going to like ten. EPAs a day and like trying to get somebody to represent me and nobody would and you know all this stuff sleeping on friends couches and where'd you keep going um because I stopped doing that because I realized that wasn't the way it was going to work out for me okay but I I didn't you don't need anything to create art right um I didn't, I didn't need anybody's help with that. I mean, my community, but it's not like I needed somebody to put me in a play. I, we could put up plays. We did. We do. You know, like, I, we could make movies, you know, to the degree that we can. We make our own music all the time. And that's really, I think it's particularly coming, so much of my process is about being a rapper first, right? And about, and I think in, particularly in the times that I was coming up, right? It was a weird time, sort of, that starting making rap music in the mid to late 90s is like a weird time to start making rap music because yeah. everything right then is the most money you could ever make making a record, right? But that was going to change very quickly. And by the time I finished college and came back to the Bay, we were in the midst of the hyphy movement, which, like, everyone was making albums in their closet. Like, that's... That's just what it was. The technology had changed to a degree, and and the real, the real genius of hyphy is a is a production choice to remove almost all of the mids out of the, out of the beats, so that you don't have to be a great mixing artist to make a voice sound good in it. Mm. So like, and it's always gonna sound good in a car with stock speakers and a shitty sub in the back, right? So like, <laughs> that you're funny because you know you like to make jokes. <laughs> As sort of like, here's my mask, I can keep you... But then behind that, like, I'm really smart. And like, like I'm really... And I don't want to... 
you know, I don't want to flex on you and be like, <laughs> I'm so smart, right? But like, like when when you when you stop making jokes, it's like, oh well, damn. Like he's really, you know, like things are really fire. Neurons are really firing. Yeah, I mean, I'm a product of my environment, man. That's how. I, this is how everybody I know talks and thinks, or who I grew up with. I really feel that way, you know. Um, so, and I didn't know it was weird until I left. I'm not saying it's weird. No, no, but it, it, there's something weird about it, or there's something different about it. You know what I'm saying? Like I did. I, um, but you're still shy. I'm hella shy. <laughs> Why? Uh, I don't know. I just, I just, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of a lot of things. My, I think the, the, the way that I create things seems so sort of weird and small and inconsequential to me. You know, like compared to the people I idolize, right? Or whatever. Like Who do you idolize? Uh, well, like Kendrick Lamar right now, right? I was just listening to your interview with him, which is like, that dude is intentional about rapping in a way that I wish I was, mm. you know? Mm. And have always wished I was. Uh, and I think able to see big picture in a way that I'm not, I'm a very like minutia guy. That's what, that's okay. the thing. If there's a thing that makes me a good actor, it's that. It's that I actually have this ability to forget about everything that's not my job and just be like, I'm going to zero in on this person's story because that is all I am in charge of figuring out. Yeah. You know? So I'm not, I don't think I would be a good director, right? I can't hold a ton of things in my head like that. Um, and even in the script writing process with, with, with Raphael, you know, much more of the work that I did was like going into a scene and being like, if we change these three words, it changes everything mm. and I think makes it better. So <laughs> let's do that. You know, I was, I was really like coming from a bird's eye perspective and then zeroing in on a little tiny thing. <laughs> um, so that's uh, because that's the way I work, I don't, I, the, sometimes the scale in which people are viewing my work, particularly now, is, is scary to me if I, if I think about that too long. Um, you know, because I'm just, I'm still just trying to figure out if these two words really rhyme the way I want them to. You know, mm -hmm. like that's, that's really it. Like, yeah. is the bounce of this one line really dope enough to put on a record? Like, that's, those are the, the things I'm stressing out over, and that seems so not about it. It's that doesn't seem interesting to me, into for anybody else. I don't know why anybody else would be interested in that. I but think that's it, the it, heart it, of being an artist, yeah. right? Of like of worrying the teeny little details. I agree, and I am always fascinated when other artists talk like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for some reason on myself, I feel like, no, that's not a thing that people <laughs> need to care about. Like, you just want to see the finished thing, and then that's, what, you know, hopefully the finished thing is good. So, uh, so yeah, so I think that's, that's partially tied into that shyness. I, I mean, I imagine that Hamilton changes your career in that instead of you know, asking, asking, asking for work, now, like, all the work is coming to you. Is that the way it is? Yeah. Um, and I, I am very fortunate, I think, that I happened to be sort of, that the moment when people started to know who I was on sort of a larger scale was that one, because it was this thing that people couldn't box in. 
mm. there wasn't like already a common trope for it. Um, so I always feel like if the if the first thing I had ever done was blackish, right, was like my the same role I'm doing on blackish. If that was the thing that was sort of getting me into rooms, I'm going to be asked to do Johan a thousand times. But that's not my life. I'm in this sort of rarefied air for an artist where people come to me and are like, "What do you want to do? You know, like what are you interested in?" Um, your skill set is sort of broader than the confines of any one thing that we've seen you in because the first thing we saw you in was this thing that we couldn't define. So um, I'm very lucky in, in, in that sense. I think there's a lot of really wonderful artists who have the opposite problem where like they've been getting tons of work for years but they feel really restricted doing the same thing over yeah. and over again. And so fortunately I don't have that problem right now Maybe it results in me just not having work soon, but like I don't, I don't know. Uh, but right now, it's 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 good. People sort of approach me with a lot of different ideas. Um, there are a lot of points of entry for what people feel like I'm capable of doing. Yeah. And sometimes I'm still shocked that anyone thinks I'm capable of doing. It. Like I, sometimes people hand me like when, uh, you know, like I'm I'm here doing the upfronts for TNT or. I'm, I'm doing the show Snowpiercer with them, which is awesome. It was like my that fucking, movie killed me. The movie was a trip. I hadn't seen it before I read the pilot, and I was so in love with the pilot. And then I watched the movie and was like, "Oh, crazy!" Uh, and that you know, I went in and read for it and all that. And then they offered it to me as a fucking lead in a in a TV show. I was like, "What evidence do you have that I could do this? That's dope." <laughs> I'm like, "So glad you think that." But like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I would have pulled that trigger <laughs> but i'm happy that they are. did and a lot of things like that you know coming from hamilton and doing wonder i did wonder the day after i left hamilton but i was offered that without auditioning just in talking to steven chbosky like doing a skype call with him on sitting on the roof of the richard rogers theater and i was talking a little bit and him being like oh yeah you'd be great at being this teacher i was like i think you're right spent a lot of time as a teacher that's really dope and then I'm on the plane over there, like, why would he ask me to do this? There's literally no evidence that I could do this. Except Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of evidence. Yeah, but it's a play. And I've done a lot of plays that I thought were really good, and nobody cared. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. This just happened to be one that, that was so zeitgeisty. And it's great. Like, it's not just really good. It's great. Yeah. It what does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals... Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. 
My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This, um, but like the lifting I'm doing in there to me feels less than I've done in a lot of other things that nobody saw. So why would they? You know what I'm saying? Like why? Why would they have that response to it? Um, but for me, historically, like being in a great play doesn't lead to anything except sure. maybe getting to be in another great play. Right. Right. <laughs> We'll get back to the show in a minute, but it's my weekly reminder that white people are dangerous. A lot of them are cool. Some of them are killers. Not all white people, but you have to protect your family. You never know when a white meth addict is going to break into your house and try to kill you. Or maybe you're in McDonald's trying to buy some french fries and someone calls the police and you're not all nice and cool about it and you get shot. There's so many ways that black people can die that you never would even see coming. That's why you need to have life insurance. You got to be able to take care of your family after some crazy shit happens to you. The easiest way to compare and buy life insurance online, our old friends, Policy Genius. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from over 15 life insurance providers. And when you compare quotes, you save money. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance. And they placed over $20 billion in coverage. They don't just insure life, they insure health, disability, pet insurance, renter's insurance, all that. If you've been putting off getting life insurance and you're black, you can't do that. Today could really be your last day. Anything could happen. Don't leave your family in the lurch. Don't put it off any longer. It's never been easier to buy. Rates are at a 20 year low. Policygenius.com, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Right, like, can we talk about Johan for a minute? Yeah. Was Johan in Blackish? Was that character given to you? I sat down with Kenya uh, while I was still in Hamilton. He had come and seen the show, and then we like went and had a meal. And and uh, he was like, "I got this idea for you, man." After we were just sitting there talking, he was like, "I'm thinking about you as Rainbow's brother," and I was just like, "Man." That's too perfect. <laughs> Every time I watch the show, I'm Team Rainbow. Like, I'm from the Bay Area. I get that. I get it so hard. Like, you know, I, I, uh, and, and she's, and she always feels so outnumbered on the show. You know, mm. she's always looked at as the crazy one. And I was like, when I watch the show, I don't think she's crazy. Like, I 100% understand where she's coming from all the time. And so. I mean, to give her a name like Rainbow does suggest. Yeah, no, like, I, I get it. Oh, you're. But she's not the only rainbow I know. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. I come from the Bay. <laughs> now, 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 I mean, I saw, I see Johan, yes, as Rainbow's brother, but also as sort of the son of, you know, like, Cree Summers' character, mm-hmm. right? And some of the characters that Lisa Bonet played yeah, in Cosby yeah. in yeah. Different World. And Absolutely. 
those characters meant a lot to me, yeah. and I felt like, wow, like somebody who's kind of like me on TV, like, wow. <laughs> and at times, <laughs> I felt like Johan was almost making fun of that archetype. Yeah. Do you, were you making fun? Well, I'm just reading lines, really, but I think Kenya's point was, to, and, I, and I don't know, I think part of Johan is that those archetypes are almost normalized now, right? So we are allowed to sort of put those on the head, like who, um, that is, that is a, there's a sort of educated black person that exists in cultural consciousness now. Yes. You know, thanks to those characters in like sort of general mainstream cultural consciousness. And so, I don't know, one of the things I love about all of Kenya's work is it's always sort of like moving the needle a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Being like, well, great, we have that. Like now we're allowed to not be precious about it. We're allowed to have somebody who can be that and be flawed. Um, and, and, but you know, the, the thing about Johan is he's totally comfortable with himself. And that's the most frustrating thing in the world for Dre. Right and yes, and Kenya's real point in creating that character was to choose somebody generationally in between the kids and mm -hmm. and yep. Dre and Rainbow. Right, so this person who you know doesn't have is is unmoored in the same way that clearly I've been talking like I've been my whole life. You know, <laughs> like where but you're not like him. I'm not like him, but he doesn't have a plan. I don't have a plan. You know, like similarly, yeah. like you're sort of just trusting. <laughs> <laughs> my friend this is Bill his mom every like I used to go hang out at his house a lot right when I was growing up and and as we got older his mom would be like you guys are so spoiled you don't like you're just and it's not like we were you know I, I grew up poor and everything it wasn't about having things it was like you're just attractive and like things are gonna be pretty easy for people just give you things like you don't you just assume that you deserve shit you know <laughs> like and that's that's, Johan, you know, just sort of assumes that things are going to work out, right? Yes. So I'm just going to go hang out in France. And I got kicked out of France. I'm just going to show back up at your house. Like, you know, like, I was like, what do you have to do to get kicked out of France? <laughs> so, like, you know, that is, that is, like, sort of a generationally a thing that, like, folks my age have. It's a luxury that we've had, I think, because we are a generation of, of kids of flower children, right? Mm -hmm. Like our parents, mm -hmm. um, our parents' form of rebellion was telling us that we could be anything we wanted to be, and mm -hmm. we took that shit real serious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you say that, then like you can't have buyer's remorse about that when I'm 30 <laughs> and living at home. Like that's you said, I could be anything that I wanted to be. <laughs> I want to be up on your couch. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm working on that part. Because you told me <laughs> that's what I could do. I don't have, I don't have to be it today, right? Can right I like, I'm getting years? there. I got big. The thing I want to be is like a multi-step process. You gotta <laughs> let me get there. <laughs> oh my God. So, you know, look, you're at a point in your career where, you know, you don't have to worry about money. So, yeah. how, so how does that liberate you as an artist? Are you like, you know, feeling more comfortable to turn down things so you get the exact pitch that you want? Yes, that is true. This this luxury of choice is huge. Um, I'm still, like, uncomfortable with having money in some ways. Like, I mean, I spend it, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that uncomfortable with it. But I, uh, yeah, I, I, um, 
it's a tough thing to navigate, you know? Making more than either of your parents have ever made is like a weird, a weird thing. Um, and f figuring out, you know, so much of who I know myself to be in hindsight is about, um, is about having limited resources at my disposal, right? It's about learning how to create with less than is probably necessary to create the thing. And so now I actually have more than is necessary to, that, to create most things I'm trying to create. And certainly access to everything. I, can, I have people, people work for me and can get me in touch with anybody. And I don't know what to do with it sometimes. You know, I've, I feel a little stuck. Like what I'm doing should be better than it is because I have all this access. So I'm still, that's the thing I'm, I'm definitely still sort of navigating and trying to figure out. But that luxury of choice, that ability to, that sort of like rarefied artist air to be like, I actually am not going to do this project because I don't need to and it's not good, uh, is pretty cool and a place I never actually thought I'd be in. So, yeah. you know. So you're still figuring out what to do with the power you have. Yeah, and it feels fleeting to me also. You know, I'm also trying to just be realistic about how things work in this in this world where, like, people answer the phone all the time right now. That might not be the case. And so, like, I also, you know, so there is this balance. I, I, I get pushed in so many different directions right now, and I feel so fortunate for it. I, I The things I say yes to are so different. They're so all over the place, you know? Um, and, like, I, you know, I'm doing the opening monologue at the TNT Upfronts today, but like yesterday, no, not yesterday, two days ago, I was, I was doing, like speaking at college signing day in Stockton, California, because okay. Michael Tubbs and I have become friends and like the, the 27 year old black mayor of Stockton. Um, well, what so, do you want to do? What do you want? All of it. I'm trying to keep doing the same shit I've been doing my whole life. Just like keeping, being able to continue to push myself into like, new ways of of making art is like that's that's what I'm trying to do so you know formalizing a production company soon and and getting to sort of help other artists who I think have are are making great things who no one's seeing right like that's a big that's a big passion of mine trying to sort of create platforms for other people who just like there's no reason so much of this game is chance right so like there's no reason, there's no practical reason that you don't know about this person yet, or that they haven't had an opportunity to create something on a large scale yet. They just didn't have their Hamilton. Right. 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 So, like, if I can provide that moment for other people, I think that's a useful thing to do. But as far as my own stuff, I, you know, I want to keep making rap songs and, and I want to keep acting in things. Talk about, for younger actors who want that advice, craft advice. What would you tell them to do and not do? Yeah, the the advice I always give to younger artists is to stop sweating the timeline so much because you waste a lot of time when you're worried about the when something is going to happen. So when I was 18, I was like, if I'm not on by the time I'm 21, it's over. You know, I didn't even know what on meant. But like when I was 21, I was like, all right, but when I'm 25, like I gotta be. And then oh, when I'm 30, you know, I'm 36, and like y'all just found out who I was yesterday. So. I, and I think I, I spent a lot of time sort of trying to, wondering why instead of just making another thing, you know. Um, artists make art. 
and you don't what almost whatever you do you actually don't need help outside of your immediate circle you need a community i th i think um maybe some like visual artists don't i don't know there's a lot of like real solitary creators yeah for me like i need a community around me and i think that's really helpful but you if if you're a teenager and you're an artist you probably have found that in one way or another you've probably got friends who are doing it and you can keep them really close like you actually I am able to work the way I am now because I'm still making art with the same people I've always been making art with. I've expanded that net and I get to collaborate with all kinds of other incredible artists and that's so wonderful. But I don't stop working with these people because we weren't making money. You know, like, you gotta walk towards the things that you love and, and that feel important to you, that feel like I have something really useful to say in this work or this piece contributes to a conversation that needs to be had in an interesting way like those are the things you run towards and you'll have you'll figure out other ways to make money like whether that's in the art or outside of the art like money can be made um it so you know those things seem at odds a lot and they are but Eventually, they're not if you stay committed to saying yes to the... Make sure you leave enough space to say yes to the things that are important to you. What about on-stage tips? I mean, you seem really alive and in the moment on stage. I'm not sure what you're going to do next. <laughs> that's good, good to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Um, if you're doing it, hopefully it's because you enjoy it, right? I actually just have the most fun. Like, that's the, that's the hype. And in a play, you know, and this is because I did theater for so long, like, you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, but, like, once you're up there doing it, actually anything could happen. You actually have so much power as an actor on stage, right? Because I could leave. I could fucking walk off the stage and everybody else would just have to deal with that. <laughs> but everybody else in the show could do that too, you know? So, like, that's... Those are the stakes you're playing with, you know, which is so much fun to have that kind of agency and to be like um, committed to telling a story with people in a way that is fresh every night so that if somebody does something, you just want to keep your eyes open and always be reacting, you know, and that's, that's kind of like the, the, in all, that's, that translates to film as well, fortunately. I didn't know that it did until recently, but it does, you know, like you're, you can react to things. Um, you're allowed to react to things, and you should. You know, Does that mean that you may go off the script because I'm just genuinely responding to the thing that you said? Yeah, if, if, that's, if that's what happens, you should do that. You know, like, in the theater, the script is sacred. So, like, you are going to, you're, your job is to say the same words every night. Um, but the space in between the words is is where acting is happening anyway and like that what does that mean it's you the words are sort of a, a road map right they tell you how each character is getting from point a to point z or whatever your job as an actor is to fill in everything else on the map so like all you're given is this line and then actors sort of have to fill in all the rest of it where's the fucking world's biggest hay bale you know like where, where is that in the in the shit that um and knowing that the more fully you can create the world around that that trajectory um the the more you're able to play within that same trajectory right Hap knowing as much as possible so um 
if some somebody can say the same thing a hundred different ways and I should be able to respond to that same thing a hundred different ways that also feel true to the person I'm playing, right? Um, because I'm certainly incapable of doing that in my life. I've responded to the question, how are you doing in a hundred different ways with the same <laughs> word, with fine, you know? Um, that means a different thing every time I say it and it's never what I'm actually, it's never what you actually mean. <laughs> so so um, I think, you know, trying to figure out how to dial into that kind of groundedness, to that kind of humanity, you know, just trying to make yourself more able to be a person, in, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's kind of the game, just how, how much of an actual person can I make myself? Mm. I mean, Taraji talked about that in a slightly different way, about you have to have empathy for the character, which is not necessarily to like the character, oh, right? yeah. to understand the character. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, art is, is, is an empathy gym, right? Like, that's, why, that's for audiences, too. Like, that's why we do it. So you can step out of yourself for a second and watch something and feel for that person. Learn, feel like you know this this person in this story and and relate to them and understand them, right? So I think when building a character, yeah, you, that that's exactly right. You do have to have empathy for them, and I I think even more than that, you want to try to get on the other side of that, where like. They just are like this is this is real, and if I am that person, like I can't judge them, not in any way that they wouldn't judge themselves, you know, so if the person is as self conscious as I am, they can do a ton of judgment, right, but if they're not, then they can't, and so like you have to you have to sort of get inside the thing like that and figure out well, and for me, it's always a question of how much of myself is in here, like where do I see myself stop, and as much as as who I am i that I can put into a thing, I will because that's easier. And then where, but really identifying the places where this character is different from me or his, their experiences are different from mine and then figuring out how to wrap myself around those different experiences, right? Um, so playing Colin, I, you know, so much of our experience is the same, right? Where we come from and people you haven't we've been, been around prison. all that stuff, but I haven't been to prison. So that's, so that's a change that I have to wrap myself around. How do I do that? Well, I have plenty of family who went to prison, so I can sort of, you know, I already have empathy for this. I already, you know, I already have sort of watched the effects of somebody coming out and watched sort of the trappings of being on probation and, and what that does. So I, I'm able to, to and you, I mean, wrap I, myself you around. Know, I like how you, you mean prison is in the background, but it's not a prison film. It's an yeah. end of probation Right, film. right, yeah, yeah. So what's your superpower? <laughs> my superpower I just said this to my mom the other day that my superpower is being able to fall asleep anywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah man that's I, you know you don't get a lot of sleep in this in this game sometimes like but I, I, whenever it's time for me to go to sleep I don't give a fuck what's going on like I'll be asleep I'll be asleep for real for those 20 minutes or whatever I'm out sitting here in this chair <laughs> and uh, recharge that way. You know. Can you sleep standing up? Uh, I tried to, when I was living in New York, that was like a big goal of mine on the subway, was trying to figure out, <laughs> trying to figure out how to actually, I got close a couple of times, but it involved like weaving my arms through the, uh -huh. it, was, it was not easy. Um, 
So I have I haven't really mastered that yet, but if I'm leaning, if I'm leaning up against something, I can get pretty can get pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> Were you always funny? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I will say like the the when I you know, decided I was gonna be a performer or whatever. It was in fourth grade. Uh, my our teacher used to make the whole class memorize poems every week, and then on the same day, everyone would have to recite the same poem, or maybe it was two or whatever that we were choosing. When you hear the same thing over and over again, and one day, like halfway through the year, I just I don't had never having done this before, just decided I was gonna act mine out, and nobody did that. But I had, I don't even remember what I did or what the poem was, but I remember people laughing when I wanted them to laugh. And that was the most powerful I'd ever felt in my life, you know, for a kid who was super shy and all of that. Being able to have people laugh because I wanted them to was such a great feeling. So I, I, I certainly chased that, you know. How, does, how do you deal with the shyness when you now have this very high level of notoriety. I mean, like, four years ago, you could probably walk down the street and be chill, be yourself. Now, you probably can't get down two blocks without somebody recognizing, noticing. It depends on where. In Times Square, I cannot. But, you know. Well, of course. Uh, but certain places, it's fine. Um, I, I think I, you know, am quick to try to get behind that as quickly as possible, right? I, um... I mean, it's a real conversation. Yeah, yeah. Not, I'm oh, good. How are you doing today? Oh, where are you going? Where mm. you know, just try to make it as much not about me as possible. Can I take your picture with you? Yeah, yeah. Of course. What's that like? Where are you? What's that shopping bag full of? You know, just trying to. Um, okay. But I also. Um, it's a weird thing to navigate. I think because as a kid, like when I when I saw some of my idols, you know, because I idolize people like. Gift of Gab, right? Like rappers in the Bay who you would just see. Me and the Gift of Gab were both music nerds, so we were both at the record store every Tuesday, back when records came out on Tuesday. You know, so like, we, <laughs> we were... So I'd see him there every day, and I never talked to him. I was always too nervous to talk to him when I was in high school or whatever. I, I you know, I would, want it, I would wait till he like moved on, then I'd go see what section he was looking at. And try, you yep. know? Um... And like Del the Funky Homo Sapien, he used to, Ooh. he used to, uh, he lived not far, when my mom lived in El Cerrito, he used to live not far from there. He'd be riding his Razor scooter down the street. I can't believe we've gone this far in this conversation without Too Short being mentioned. Oh man, I mean, Short, you know, the, the, my cousin, uh, this is how it worked for everybody, right? The first person to play you Too Short is probably your older cousin, right? <laughs> right, 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 That's, right. that's how that no works. Doubt, no doubt, But yeah, he was, yeah. Cousin Damon was sort of responsible for me knowing who Too Short and N.W.A. and all this stuff. Like he, he was really into like gangster rap and stuff. So I was yeah. But you know Short, <laughs> Short was always around too. I, but all of these people were folks I couldn't. I never really brought myself to talk to until many years later. I was like, do I happen to be opening for Gift of Gab at a thing in Providence? And so I was like hanging out backstage with him and had a conversation with him. You know like. Um, I've always been the type that, like, in, in, unless I was working with somebody, it was really hard for me to, unless I had something to talk about that wasn't them and wasn't me, sure. <laughs> that it was, it was difficult because I know that I wouldn't want anybody to talk to me about me. So that's still hard for me to deal with and I don't want to talk to them about me. So right, like, no, right, right, right. So like, <laughs> so it was, 
you know, and we a couple New Year's ago we spent with two sharks. We both ended up at the same party and like invited to the same like party in Chicago. <laughs> and so uh, that was the first time I actually spoke to two sharks. Although I have a like pretty funny two short story. Raphael was there too, which is that we used to have this band called the Get Back, which was like our first sort of when we started making songs together in like two thousand and four. We, when we performed, we used to perform with like a 12 piece band. Okay. Super tourable, like a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> really easy to rehearse and like. <laughs> but so that's how we used to play shows around the band. And our drummer, Cody Hodge, um, who is, is fucking awesome and has been on tour all over the place with a bunch of other projects too, but. Um, he was doing a drum competition at, at a guitar center in El Cerrito. And so we like mob out there, me and Rafa mob out there and we're, we're waiting for the competition to start and there's like a few drummers. The, the drum set is like set up on the floor, all the cameras are pointing to it. And Too Short walks in and he's like looking around, he's like, I need a drum set. They're like, all right, well, we have some, some lovely ones over here. He's like, nah, I want that one. They're like, oh, great, we have that model boxed up in the back, so we'll just bring it out for you. He said, no, I want that one. And he pulled out $7,000 in cash and put it down on the thing. And they were like, yes, sir, Mr. Short, sir. And so they had to tear down the whole drum set and set up the identical one that was already boxed in the back. <laughs> and so that, that, uh, that competition was delayed by like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> But I would have done it too. Short said he wanted that drum set. He wants that music drum set. nerd top five MCs of all time. Ooh. So E40 is always number one on my list. It never changes. The rest of them change a fair amount. Um, but uh, so this can, and and usually my top two are E40 and then Aesop Rock out of Long Island, right? Okay. Because he was super formative for me in college. Uh, and then after that. You liked wanna... MF Doom, didn't you? No. No? No, it was never an MF Doom. I thought he was in your heady hip-hop lane. He is, but that stuff doesn't slap enough to me. What do you mean slap enough? That doesn't have enough rhythm? Yeah, it's like not... The, uh, thing of... Too academic-ish? I don't mind academia if I like A$AP Rock. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like that, that cat is like the headiest of, of heady cats, but I think it's like... It doesn't feel... Easy, okay. right? This is a this is another Bay Area thing. We like virtuosity. We like our virtuosity to feel mundane. We like to we like to pretend that it's easy. Okay. So like that's that's what I'm always looking for in my favorite rappers. I want them to do things that are like magic, as if it's breathing. So like, right? The, like Jay Z Carter, makes it sound. Yeah, like, I've always Wayne been a Jay Z fan, and I've never been a Nas fan, right? So like, okay. I mean, okay. love Nas, respect, but, like, but, respect Nas, right. but that, that's never, and that's the case for a a lot of folks from the West Coast, too, because we like, you know, yeah, Wayne, like, Carter II era Lil Wayne is like, no one had ever rapped like that before, and he made it sound like breathing. It was know? like three years of like every mixtape, every feature. It was nuts. It was insane. Nuts. Carter II, yeah. Carter III, it was insane. So wait, wait, you said okay, so E-40, yeah, A$AP Rock. A$AP Rock, who... Um, yeah, is an, an incredible rapper who used to be on Def Jux. Some people will have to go back. He's not saying ASAP Rocky. Not ASAP Rocky. Please, please <laughs> don't, don't confuse that. We love ASAP Rocky. No, no, no. Nothing against him. He's but just, he's not, on, just not this guy. Right. Um, yeah. Kendrick's on my list right now, for sure, for sure. 
So Kendrick is no higher than three. Only because those two are always one. They're cemented one and two. That is formative for me. It's okay. Like, right. Um, so let's put Kendrick on there. Let's put three stacks on there. Andre 3000. Andre uh -huh. 3000. Uh -huh. And for the fifth today, who's going to be my fifth today? Uh, let's put Rhapsody on there. I've fucking been... Wow. been deep diving into Rhapsody lately. Wow. I've fucking, she's, and that stuff is so surprising too because I wouldn't have thought it was in my lane and the more I listen to her, the more I fall in love with her. She's such a technician and it's so smooth and like I'm not usually the type to get into really like soulful beats and stuff like that. I don't, that's not usually, I, I am more prone to love, you know, some hyphy stuff. Mm. But uh, the way that she manages language is like, it's actually, actually, I don't know anybody else who's doing it. So, Jay Electronica? I, I, I like Jay. Fine. Just like. I just like. I'm not a huge really? like. Yeah. I thought he was in your lane. So, Black Thought? Black Thought, for sure. And there was a time when, like, the roots were everything to me, for sure. But, yeah, Black Thought. Um, yeah. But, like, Crit, you know? Big Crit, <laughs> I think no Big doubt. Crit's a super talented rapper. But I think... Uh, yeah, who else? I'm trying to like throw someone in there from from like a different side of things, so you could, you might understand the the totality of the situation, you know. Uh, but I also, you know, I'm still I'm still listening to everything, you know. So I also like this little girl China out of uh, out out of Philly, okay, who just dropped an album that I didn't know anything about. It was like there's an album cover I haven't seen before, and hit play on it, and she is. Gassing, she's so good, you know. Molly Brazy is great. There's like this whole awesome crop of of women coming up right now that I think are are so so good and are rapping so hard and I love that. You know, Cardi B's album is fucking great. Fire, fire, no doubt. So good. What about Gambino? Gambino, I <laughs> man, I have a complicated. I don't know I, what I. Gambino is one of those ones where like I. He is really good at that thing. Uh -huh. And I, I've always said it's just not for me. And the honest truth is I don't know if that's just me hating because I wish I had made it or not. <laughs> you, know? uh, you mean you I'm wish not... you made This Is America or like the earlier? The earlier stuff wasn't really my thing, but like he's super talented. But I, maybe it's about the totality of his career, right? Like, I mean, like maybe I wish I had made Atlanta too. Absolutely. Like he's... Uh, he's one of the great artists of our generation and like yeah. I you know so it's hard for me to I have to really check myself around this is America is un unhateable like right. I, that is unfuckwittable and I would love to fuck with it because right. I actually spend a lot of time like <laughs> talking to my friends about why his shit ain't that good but like that one I can't Atlanta I can't you know what I'm saying like, you wanna hate on it but it's so good you can't yeah yeah, this is America for sure. I mean, what? That's look. You just said you just encapsulated the whole thing right there. That's what we were feeling. You did that in three minutes in a video. Like, fuck yeah, bruh. Um, I mean, there's so much there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we were also like both up for Lando. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have mm. like it's deep with me and Gambit. We have a ton of mutual friends, and we had never met. And then like one day we like. I, right when I found out that he got that part, I met him that day on a rooftop in in Los Angeles see, see, randomly. And see, I, 
<laughs> and I was like, and that event probably meant nothing to him, but I'll never forget it. <laughs> you know? No, no. I, I like, mean, I could see where if me and a cat were up for a role like that, you know, just kind of like one of those big roles of the year yeah. and you don't get it. And, you know, like, damn, it might be a little salty. I could see that. I know. And I, I'm trying to navigate that because I also am sure he's fucking great at it. Of course. <laughs> and it frustrates me to no end. You know what I'm saying? Like, right? I'm sort of like I wish I wish I was going to see that movie and be like, yeah, you wasn't that good. That's not going to happen. I already know it's not going to happen. I'm going to be and be like, he was fucking great. He was totally the right choice. And no. he did it differently than I would have done I it. I would have never done it like that. Yeah. It would have been a way worse movie. Like, I already know. So, and so I feel that way about a bunch of his stuff, you know? Is there another role that you have envy over? Like, I was up for this, didn't get it. Like, ah, fuck you, Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> if me and Will Smith were for the same roles, that'd be amazing. Um, I can't, I don't know. Is there one off the top of my head? The, uh, there is one, although I think the project ended up getting canceled. So, but like, I, I was, there's a really, there was a really awesome script. Um, Floating around about um, the the Simonese Liberation Army and, mm. and Sinku and yes, that the whole, kidnap Patty Hearst. Yeah, yeah. So yes. the whole it was you know sort of all about Patty Hearst joining up this thing, and I was I was uh, up for the Sinku role, and like was I just loved that script so much, you know. But it I didn't get it, but then I also am not sure it's being made or not. But it was but anyway, it was really really good. There's a ton of stuff I've read that I like you know, for whatever reason, just haven't gotten it on. It's not out yet, but I'm sure when I see it, I'll be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I wanted that. But I also, you know, I also don't. I, that's another, I don't audition well, I don't think. I'm not. You don't audition well? Yeah. Most of the shit I've done has not been from an audition, right? Like, most of the most of the things I've actually gotten are because, like, we somehow went around that, where, like, I was having a conversation with creatives we're like, oh, you're pretty smart. You really understand this. <laughs> you should do this. You know. Do you still audition though? You're, are you asked to audition now? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean, aren't you big enough that they're like, we know what he is. Either we want him or we don't. I don't know. I could, I could, I could probably refuse. But I, when people, but you know, sometimes things come my way, and my agents will be like, we're really sorry. You're gonna have if you like, they really want you to go in and read. I'm always like, yeah, I wouldn't. I would make me go in and read. You know, like because <laughs> there's not enough evidence. How, well, yeah, but also like, how do you know? Particularly if I get to read with the director of the thing, I would love. I would rather do that than be cast cold and not. Then at least we've had. 10 minutes in a room together to know if we like each other. That's even more of the game than like, can he, acting's not magic. There's hella good actors out there. Like you can find somebody to play any part. So it's like, are you gonna vibe with this person? Like, do we want to spend a bunch of time around each other? Like those are bigger <laughs> questions. <laughs> You're about to form a part-time family. We're going to be virtually shoulder to shoulder for months. We got to know if we're going to like each other. David is really smart and his success is well-deserved. He had a dream to get this movie made and invested over a decade of his life. And he got it done. 
That's why I say this show is about giving you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. And this show can help you. David stuck with his dream for 10 years. You can do that too. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, review, and all that stuff. And tell a friend who you think would like the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, produced by Chris Colbert and the Young Turks, with help from William Jolly, Jason Wallace, Candid Nicole, and our photographer Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks. Because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.